if I drop my daughter's bike off at a cycle shop to get it fixed and then she's pleased that she's got her bike back working, that's fine. But if we try and fix it together, actually, that could go both ways, couldn't it? It could turn into a nightmare <laughs> and, uh, and we argue and fall out over it. Or hopefully not, you know, we've, we've kind of learned something together and used the same kind of tools as the guy in the repair shop, but the social relationships that we reinforce or reproduce through that activity are just that bit stronger, I think. Welcome to the Restart Podcast. I'm Dave Pickering and I make podcasts and I spend most of my life online, but I've got no idea how to fix anything. But I've been invited to a party. It's called a Restart Party. And this party might just help me to understand the technology that I use every day and all the time. But what is a Restart Party? A Restart Party is a pop-up community repair event where skilled volunteers help people diagnose and repair their broken electronics. They are organised by The Restart Project, who are a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. Each repair poses its own challenges, not just technical ones, but other challenges involving the way we think about electronics and the way that we think about society in general. Speaking of which, let's start today's show with an example. The thing I brought today was a Grundig battery-operated radio which I bought in Berlin in 1956. And the guy that repaired it said it was beautifully made, better switches than we have on the equipment today. He was really quite proud, you know, to be working on it. Probably you don't remember, but it was a top name in televisions and radios. It's equal to Samsung today. He said, the guy that repaired it, said it's a wonderful little radio. The only thing that was wrong with it was that it was crackling. It was working okay, but it was crackling in the background. And he's fixed on that, but he, he worked on it. It, it took him a long time. He just, I, can't, I can't work this out, he said. It's not in the radio, he said. It must be somewhere else. And it was, it was in the batteries. The way the batteries were in, interlinked. You've used that radio all of that time, all of those years? I use it every morning. That's a long time to have something these days, like com- comparatively, like people throw things away so so frequently. It's been an absolute pleasure and a delight to come along such a nice, friendly centre and have my, have my radio fixed. So that was Paul talking to me at Abbey Community Centre in Kilburn at a restart party earlier this month. And I wanted to start today's episode with that lovely piece of personal history because today's episode is about the history of fixing objects. And to get some idea of the history and the context around critical making, tinkering and fixing things, I went to the University of Sussex to talk to somebody whose focus of research and study 
is exactly that. My name is Adrian Smith. I'm a professor of technology and society at the Science Policy Research Unit here at the University of Sussex. I'm a researcher and I'm interested in relationships between technology and society and the sustainable development of societies. I've got particular interest in grassroots innovations, community groups and neighbours getting together and reappropriating technologies, developing their own innovations to try and improve their livelihoods, their neighbourhoods and make them a bit more sustainable. In today's episode, we're going to be cutting backwards and forwards between my conversation with Adrian and snippets of conversations that I had at that restart party in Kilburn. We'll be looking at the general landscape of fixing that we currently have and looking at some of the precedents, social forces and ideas that have helped to shape that landscape. I have to confess to not having attended a restart party, which is something I should do really, but it's definitely a really interesting network, initiative, activity that speaks to a lot of the themes I'm really interested in. It's exploring values in a way that connects with all sorts of other innovations and and movements, questioning the way technology is developed, is made available, you know, the way it kind of serves their needs or not, as well as going about it in a kind of sociable, community-building way. And then also the environmental benefits or the sustainability and economic benefits of that. But for me, what's really interesting and what's actually striking about the the ideas initiating Restart is that questioning the relationship between technology and and our societies, really. What's your name? Robert Flucker. Is this your second time at one of the Restart parties? This is my third day. Third time. Restart party. How did you find out about Restart? Actually, my daughter uh, helps in the organisation, so... When we found out it was uh, something I do anyway, fix things, it was quite simple to come down and have a, have a try. Well, I was going to say, what makes you want to fix things? But it sounds like something you already do. But it's, it's, yes, I would say it's a, a hobby. Uh, I, I was, uh, my first job was in electronics, so I got the basic idea from there. In fact, the job was repairing electronics. It was a production test on a, on a factory floor, so that I was actually paid to do it. It turned out I actually enjoy doing it <laughs> without the pay. It's like doing crosswords or puzzles. It, you have to know how the thing works. Sometimes you have to find out how it works, then find out why it's not working. And that, that's, the, that's the puzzle, and it's a pleasure when it works. Right. Not, not, not so much fun when, the, when, you're, when the puzzle's unsolved. That's it, it's, it's puzzle-solving, problem-solving, I suppose you call it. Right, and you're having quite a successful puzzle-solving T- day, love, right? Today's fantastic. Two, two out of two, uh, ex- excellent. I've had, I've had the previous day, I've had zero, complete failure, but uh, that's, that's the luck of the draw. I mean, the exciting thing with Restart is, is doing that questioning around electronic goods that are increasingly closed, you know, and not meant to be physically opened up or thought about. You know, they're meant to provide a very smooth service to us. You know, and when that goes wrong, you, you get the next kind of closed, smooth device that allows you to do certain things. So out of all of the technologies in the world, you know, from like bicycles and garden hose up to smartphones, you know, Restart are really making us think about some quite hard to get into technologies and devices and the fact that so many people are interested in that is just really impressive and really important. Everybody's thinking, driving a car was tinkering with motor cars, that was the old, in the 1930s, 1940s, you, you really had to have a lot of knowledge and now it's almost reversed, there's very, virtually nothing you can touch in a car, you need special, the electronics thing, you need special codes which are, the manufacturers keep close to their chest, they don't say, they don't, they don't offer you the, the information. It's, um, it's basically locked out by the manufacturers. 
sometimes for, usually for good reasons. Right. But it's getting, yes, it's much more difficult, even changing light bulbs these days, with a streamlined yeah. car. In the old days, the, you could do it by hand, more or less, but nowadays it's a, things are so compressed and waterproofed, it's very difficult to get things apart in the first place. Would you say that Restart is part of a wider sort of movement? Yeah, I think if you look at what's going on with community energy and groups of people getting together and setting up cooperatives to generate their own energy, neighbours getting together to think about how they can reduce their energy demand, there's lots of interest in that. There's groups like Open Energy Monitor, kind of like self-build smart energy systems and energy monitoring in your home. There's the repair cafes more widely, you know, beyond sort of electric goods, but also interests around urban gardening as well. There's the whole kind of hacker spaces and fab labs about making things together and in, in new sorts of ways. And what's striking is they're all kind of connecting, I think. Yeah. So there are certain values in common, I think. A lot of them are around sustainability, sociability, community, you know, and, and sort of being involved and having some direct say and action in the things in your life and in your world. And maybe born of frustration of the people who conventionally provide these things, such as businesses and governments, not being seen to do it in the kinds of ways that these groups want. So yeah. it's born of frustration, maybe, but actually just wanting to lead a more empowered and richer and sociable life as well. I'm Lara, and I'm actually a researcher who's doing a bit of research on Restart ah. as part of a project on volunteer repair meetups in the United States and here in Europe. I've been observing the repair between Diana and John today. You've been looking at fixing things in the US as well, right? My colleagues have been looking at fixing things in New York right. at uh, meetups like the New York Fixers Collective and in San Francisco and Seattle at repair meetups and also tool libraries there. And then I've been researching with Restart here in London. What attracted you to this kind of research? Oh, I really enjoy researching repair. It's my favourite topic. So for my PhD, I studied mobile phone repair workshops in Kampala in Uganda. So for me, I really wanted to stay in the repair area. So I'm joining this project. I start on August the 1st, officially in my new job for a year. So that's really exciting. So it's been a really nice departure, come into a different kind of economy that we have in the UK and in North America and thinking through how, how do we fix our objects of all kinds, obviously electronic and electrical here at Restart, but in the States they're also dealing with things like clothes and household goods of different kinds. That, that connects to thinking about democracy, you know, having a right to be heard and participating. I mean, it may not be that we necessarily all want to fix everything that right. goes wrong right. or make all our own things in Fab Labs. You're also, I think, sending a signal to people who do make a lot of the key social choices around the kinds of technology we get, which might be designers, investors, entrepreneurs, regulators. You know, they, these are all social choices. Tinkering, repairing, questioning them technologies is actually, I think, about pushing democracy or questions about democracy to where they need to be, which is not just around voting and public policies, but about the technologies that we have in our world, and which are becoming increasingly important to us as well, right. and that we're dependent on. Right. So we need to have discussions about it, and repair is really important, and sustainability of technologies is really important. It can be quite a dry subject as well. Maybe not everyone's excited about it. So then again, I think the nice thing with things like restart parties community energy initiatives is, is people come together around the initiative not about the technology per se but 
you know, it's another arena to talk about these kinds of questions and right. kind of raise awareness, maybe put pressure on other people who are involved in the chain of decisions to kind of reconsider the way they go about making them decisions. So that's what's happening now. There's lots of yeah. different groups, not just Restart, other groups all over the world, right? As yeah. As well as I understand, growing around these issues, coming from different sides, you know, yeah. to the same, sometimes to the same points or, or coming from the same points as to, a, to somewhere adjacent with each other. That will be, I guess, partly a reaction to where we are now, but it, it won't just exist on its own how does what's happening now how do we situate that within a sort of more broader historical okay sort of sense of yeah of, of, of tinkering and making and yeah. critical remaking and all sorts of no that's you know, a good communities a, yeah yeah i mean it definitely i mean there's on the one hand at one level people have always fixed things and repaired things and it's interesting how certain objects are still repaired and we still keep them for a long time, like, say, bicycles right. and others right. are not, like, TVs, you know, right. which used to, the repairman used to come around and fix them. And these things shift and change over time. It's interesting because the economics of repair are quite different and the kinds of imperatives to repair are quite different. So for people in Uganda, any kind of fix to keep a phone working is really important because that's something that's really new and it's not very economically easy to go and buy a replacement device. Whereas here we've got maybe a bit of a different attitude towards our electronics. So I think we could learn a little bit from the Ugandans in that respect. And maybe the costs of electronics in Uganda reflect a bit more the kind of processes that go into them, whereas here we operate a lot on contract phones, so we get a new mobile when we sign on to a new contract and we don't have to pay for it whereas the vast majority of Ugandans are on pay-as-you-go contracts. So really for them, the phone is an upfront expenditure, so it's a very different way of kind of consuming electronics. So I think if we were to always have to buy our phones, we would kind of have a bit of a different attitude towards them. There are so many different kinds of objects here, like this looks like a dictaphone, and this looks like a very old radio that this gentleman is obviously so attached to. And so it's not just about the economics either. Okay, that's a general framework and how cultures consume differently, but also it's about our individual attachments to objects and how we feel about them and how they enable our practices and how we live our lives with them. I think more relevant to, I guess, some of the ethos behind restart parties is a more political challenging and questioning technology through kind of material activities through tinkering taking stuff apart or even trying to develop your own technology there has been that sort of questioning historically and in, in the past and one that I've studied was a kind of movement for socially useful production as it was called back then and this, this emerged in the sort of mid-1970s and really came out of grassroots trade unionism really so it's kind of workers who were threatened with automation a new technology coming in, so like computer-controlled manufacturing equipment, and were worried about their jobs or being de-skilled and having their jobs degraded in some way. And what was interesting is that workers at a UK company called Lucas Aerospace 
were doing the usual things back then. So they were going on strike and they were occupying the factory and trying to resist this kind of wave of automated technology that investors and management wanted to come in. As well as just resisting it, they argued that, no, we, we're not against technology. We want technology that's socially useful. They did a survey of all their factories, about 17 around the country, and what sort of tools were in the factories and what skills people had. And workers led by their local shop stewards, you know, so very much on the shop floor, came up with an alternative plan for the company and thought about the sorts of products that they thought would be socially useful, given the, the skills and capabilities they had in the factories. There were things like wind turbines, heat pumps, a road rail device, so like a, a kind of bus that went on railway lines and the road as well and they kind of used that actually as a as almost as a propaganda device it kind of went around the country as part of an exhibition you know inside with all the designs and prototypes for these socially useful products what was interesting about that back then was that obviously management in the company and government as well that didn't like this idea of people on the shop floor questioning decisions that were rightfully those of the managers and the, and the design engineers. Interestingly, some of the design engineers were with the people on the shop floor on this. And some of the leaders got fired as a result of this action. So, so within Lucas Aerospace, it didn't really get very far. But they spawned a network of sister activities and went on and they established a Centre for Alternative Industrial Technology and Strategy at North East London Polytechnic with a mission to promote this activity and encourage others to do it. So workers in factories like Chrysler, Vickers that made tanks, were also developing their own alternative plans. What was interesting was that at Lucas, as well as at some of these other companies, a lot of their products were for the military, making weapons and or the components for military aircraft. So part of the argument with socially useful production was, why is all this public money going on these weapons of war, when we could be making technologies that are much more socially useful. So, you know, play equipment for kids, right. mobility devices for the disabled, kidney dialysis machines, renewable energy technologies. We've got all this ingenuity and skills. And there was an environmental theme to it as well around longevity and materials used. They were aware of the sort of environmental issues. So within Lucas, it didn't get anywhere. They persisted with it. It spread to other factories, but then workers in Scandinavia and in Germany started doing this as well. It made links to people in Australia, in the US as well. This What became known as the Lucas Plan, and people at the grassroots level of the factories doing their own designs and using their skills to suggest things kind of really caught the imagination of quite a number of people. And I think maybe the most advanced it got back then was in London, where... The GLC, the Greater London Council then, a quite kind of left-leaning Labour council was voted in in about 1981, of which Ken Livingstone became the, the leader. Manufacturing was declining in London drastically, like many places around the country, and they were committed to trying to think of an alternative to that, but in a way that was committed to sort of industrial democracy and alternative technologies. So they put a little bit of money in opening up what they called technology networks. So these were community-based workshops and there were five of them around London that were inspired by the Lucas plan and linked to that, that sort of movement. And the idea was it, that it connected it, the tools and knowledge of technicians at some of the local polytechnics with the communities. So these workshops were kind of 
set up outside of the polytechnics, kind of in neighbourhoods, and very much an open door activity to try and encourage people to come in and suggest prototypes, products, what, what were the useful products that, that they wanted in their communities. So a bit like hacker spaces or fab labs right. today, really, but obviously you didn't have the social media and digital right. technologies aspects of it. And it persisted for a few years and, you know, loads of ideas generated what was called a product bank of designs that people could access and, and share. But it, it was always dependent on funding from the Greater London Council. Right. And when that was shut down by the Thatcher government in 1986, the networks faded away as well. And so did that kind of wider movement for socially useful production because whilst there was a kind of upswell of grassroots interest and initiative and attention, it was never won the sympathy of the government even senior politicians in the Labour Party and even senior people in the trades union hierarchy who were more accustomed to negotiating over pay and terms of employment and working conditions. This idea that kind of ordinary people should have a say in what, how technologies are developed just was a bit too threatening, I think. Maybe it's a story of like something a bit idealistic or utopian, but it generated a lot of initiative and energy and activities and it actually, I think pioneered a lot of ideas and practices that are quite standard now, like participatory design and that people should be involved in important decisions. I mean, maybe some of those techniques have been applied more to how we design products to make them more marketable rather than repairable. But nevertheless, if you like, if some of the social values are kind of reinserted into those practices, they can be put to the kinds of purposes that people were aspiring to use them back then with the, the Lucas plan. I'm David. How did you find out about Restart? I joined Restart, what, two and a half years ago? I can't remember how I found out about it, but I came to uh, one Restart party with a few tools and uh, wondering whether, I mean, you know, what it would be, and, um, and I haven't left since, yeah. Why do you want to restart things? What makes you interested in re- restarting? So, I mean, most of the things I've done in my life have been uh, um, trying to empower people to, uh, to take control themselves of whether it's technology, whether it's fixing, whether it's the law, whichever aspect, but empowering people to, uh, to act themselves. Is it about solving the puzzle? Yes, very right. much so, yes. Okay. And, and not just solving the puzzle, but you know, helping people solving the, the puzzle. So, uh, so they realize that uh, that's fixing fixing most hardware is not very difficult, and uh, and they can do it themselves. So, the, so both the the, uh, the puzzle solving, the troubleshooting, uh, but as well as the uh, as the people realizing that they can't do most of the work themselves. I think it was quite unusual to kind of question technology back then. That was just emerging, really, and to think that. Actually, technology is not, there's nothing automatic about how it develops. There's lots of social choices involved. Right. And I think initiatives like the Lucas Plan and technology networks and the movement for socially useful production really crystallised a lot of that sort of experience and thinking. There are social choices in the design, the development of technologies and what happens to them when they stop working. People have a right to be involved in that if they want to. And I think that's the legacy of it. And the people who were behind that, you know, they, their livelihoods were being threatened. You know, they were skilled engineers or tool makers. What was interesting is, you know, they were predominantly men, but then feminists got involved and said, well, no, you know, don't just think about making stuff. What about all the technologies in the home as well? And thinking right. about, you know, gender issues. But if you like, it was coming from that defending jobs. And, and we've kind of we've grown up and living through the, the consequences of, of that shift. You know, they kind of failed on their broader mission of changing 
political economy and thinking about more socialised markets, investment of value, social use over private profit. But they sowed the seeds, I think. My name is Sarah. Why did you come here today? Well, I have a micro USB bit that goes into my Samsung phone, so it's sort of bent and the power hasn't been able to get into the phone so I've brought it here today but I've also done this a few times and I have a few at home in, languishing in my drawers <laughs> a few things that are bent so I thought if I could learn how to fix this then I could fix maybe all of them. yeah fix all of them you know I'm one of these people who leaves things in my drawer th- in hope of being able to do something with it rather than throwing it in the bin you've hosted a couple of the events yeah right, parties. I actually first saw it on tv on I think the one show so I was sitting at home and I was watching the one show and I saw all these people doing all these amazing things like here today fixing all different things and they were saying that the reason why they wanted to do that was to stop sending electrical goods to landfill and that there was a lot of things that were made to break and also that passing on skills being able to pass on skills to other people and I'm one of these people who like jumped out out of my chair and said I want to do that (laughs) (laughs) so I basically yeah I got in touch with the restart guys and said I want to host this and and then I I put on one where I live in the London Borough of Harrow in fact I've put on two now I've actually made it part of my job with another project called the Rubbish Diet so it's really it's all working out great Are there any other movements or groups in the in the UK that you think is so precedent or like Yeah I think I think there's lots if you look at recycling which has lots of energy demand consequences you know it's better to repair and restart things obviously first but a lot of the recycling initiatives emerged in the UK out of community initiatives and there were community recycling groups kind of setting up collection schemes and finding ways to get that material they'd collected reprocessed and it was only later that local authorities and then multinational companies came in and set up these kind of material processing industries so I think it's not a kind of universal pattern but it's often amidst the kind of grassroots that some of these the initiatives that are driven by social values emerge and it's only later that kind of entrepreneurs or businesses come in and see some value in that and turn it into a kind of you know financially sustainable business model but they're usually through no fault of their own just part of this wider economic system they're sometimes constrained in the way that they can go about doing that while still turning a profit what's the rubbish diet the rubbish diet is a diet for people's bins not their body so the idea is people take a diet which is online they sign up to it on our website and then once they've taken the diet we see how much they've slimmed their bin and then we offer them places to go to get new skills like restart or maybe go to learn sewing skills or something active that they can do to help gain skills or participate in something that tells other people how they can reduce their waste so restart and rubbish diet we all share the same sort of values how it worked there though was that was a kind of community. It was a means for people to communicate with one another. You know, the trade union newsletters that were telling right. each other about what was going on. Obviously, trade unions have a different role in society now and have disappeared from a lot of the private sector activity. Yes. But we communicate and share our activities through social media right. and meetups. And I think that's really interesting now how new technologies allow community building at a distance but also that ability to kind of meet up in your neighbourhood and meet people. And I think that face-to-face aspect's really important. I think that getting your hands around and doing something together and just the kind of conversations that spark from that and the relationship is a really 
important aspect. And I think that's what's really interesting about that is this combination of that interpersonal right. and, and yet also being connected to something. What I really like about it is the way in which you can keep on coming back and you can learn something more. And these guys here who come to share their skills are so patient. They're always willing to sort of share their experience with us. I've been to some Rosie's Restarters where women get to learn things and I've learned how to solder at the Rosie's Restarters. And I've also been to a few of their sort of restarters, teach restarters things. So that's, I learn about capacitors and things like that. I don't know how to fix anything. And so it's been really fascinating where I've been involved with restart. Like yeah. Coming to these places and, and trying to capture them in, in audio form, which is quite hard because <laughs> everyone's always so busy. Everyone is always so busy, but when people finish, I guess you get what's the nice thing is you get to talk to all those people who have had something saved. Yeah. And sometimes they've got a real attachment to it, like the guy that you had before who's, I don't know, he must be in his 70s and he's got his radio and he's got real memories probably about that that radio. That that radio is older than me. That radio is (laughs) older than a lot of us. But it's from Germany and he's got a whole, you know, you can clearly see he loves that radio. It's easy to think of objects as just like consumerism and all of the bad things that come with that. And, and the interesting thing about doing this restart stuff is suddenly I've sort of gone, oh, yes, they are that, but they're also people's memories. They're yeah. also like important things to people. People have lots of emotions towards yeah. these things that we make. I mean, I see these things in a very kind of dynamic way really a messy way you know it's very anarchic people kind of doing things and pushing and maybe sometimes that becomes an aspect of a wider movement that does get some quite significant shifts in regulation or criteria for investing we do get more sustainable products and technologies in society and more and build more sustainable relationships and economic models but other times not you know it's just a fun initiative thing and it's enriching for people who are involved in some way frustrating also they take that experience on to the next things they do in their lives. And, it, and so it kind of goes on, really. The most important thing, though, is that people have opportunities to engage in these sorts of ways. There are spaces and events and time in their days, and, you know, and they're encouraged and they can access the skills and tools they need to express themselves in that way and fulfil their sort of social values, really. Now there are opportunities and interests to put these design principles and ideas into practice. But they've been around for a long time. And Victor Payek, as he wrote the book for Design for Real Life in the mid-70s with a lot of these sorts of ideas. And it's nothing inherent to the ideas that are going to make them succeed. It's, it's people wanting them right. to happen, right. you know, in business, in government, in markets, but also in, in communities and societies as well. When people kind of engage and want to make it happen, there are these tools and practices out there to draw on. It's not a design question. That, that's why, for me, it's a kind of social and political question, really, because it's about how do you mobilise this stuff. And I think the great thing about repairing and restart parties is that with sustainability, a lot of it's about telling us what we shouldn't be doing or need to stop doing or do less or do in more inconvenient sort of ways. When really, and research shows this, if you really want to motivate people, you need to make it a positive thing, a fun thing to do, a rewarding, you know, an enriching experience. And I think some of these spaces are achieving that. Mixing together the audio for this episode reminded me that history is made up of people. The history covered today is just the tip of the iceberg, and I look forward to learning more about people and communities changing their relationships with gadgets in future episodes. Speaking of which, next month, 
we'll learn about the negative environmental impacts that can go into the manufacture of the kind of devices that get fixed at restart parties. And we'll look at an exciting new project to measure how repair minimises these impacts. So you're invited to come back to join me for that party, but today's restart party is over. So it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Bye, everybody.